This is the Permaculture Podcast. As we begin, I want to let you know that my friends Robin Mello and Benjamin Weiss are launching their Bones to Bloom online ecological design course, which runs from April 16th through June 24th. If you've heard my enthusiasm with them during interviews, they're two of my favorite people in the permaculture community. If you've been interested in learning with them, this is a great opportunity to do so wherever you are in the world. In addition to exploring their approach to ecological design, there's also an optional permaculture design course available. So here's a chance to change your life and the world while studying permaculture with some of our best teachers. Find out more and register today at edenspore.com slash b2b online. And of course, you'll find a link to that in the show notes. If you're working your way through a permaculture project or find yourself wandering in the permaculture pit, I'm here to help guide you through any difficulties on your journey with a formal consultation or an informal meandering. Find out more about those at thepermaculturepodcast.com or schedule a session at calendly.com slash permaculture. Finally, though I'm still on sabbatical from regular production for a few more months, I'm continuing to share updates, book reviews, an exclusive Discord, and more at the podcast Patreon. Come join that community for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast. Today's episode, an interview from co-host David Bilbrey, continues his exploration of business and permaculture as he sits down to hear from Mark Simpson about how Mark applies the ideas of holacracy and self-management to a hierarchical business. This results in a flattening of that vertical organization into a vastly more horizontal one that creates empowerment and opportunity for employees to directly influence their work. As David provides a great introduction to Mark, let's go ahead and get started. Hi, this is David Bilbrey with EcoThinkIt.com and the Permaculture Podcast, and I'm here today with Mark Simpson, and he is the COO of RSSG and Evangelist of Self-Management Best Practices. Um, Mark gravitates towards environments that cultivate autonomy, cross-functional collaboration, and purpose-driven work. He enjoys bringing a unique perspective to the table and tackling problems across many different domains, technology, organizational design, work environments, and especially people. He strives to make mistakes early and often so he can iterate and develop anti-fragile systems. Welcome, Mark. Thank you very much, David. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Finally, we've been kind of talking about doing this for a while. Yep. So as to this episode falls into the category of social permaculture and that we're talking about regenerative business structures and social systems um, that help not only the business to grow, but also the people involved in the business to grow in a more dynamic and holistic way. Mark led a, con- a conversion of a company, a traditional company, through a self-management process. And so we're going to talk about that for sure. We'll talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of this process because um, these kind of experiments are, you know, we're going to have to learn how to iterate, fa- fail fast, iterate, and develop um, just like they do in the tech world. So Mark, um, tell me a little bit about, well, first of all, how would you define self-management? Uh, well, in some ways, people have asked me that, and I almost think it's such a nice term because it almost self-defines itself, right? <laughs> it's very much in the term of allowing people to really guide themselves to that which they need to do and not necessarily be managed, if you will, by somebody else or some higher power, if you will, to tell them necessarily what to do. Um, so very much, I just think of it as somebody who is able to kind of work amongst a, a lot of others and, and be both guided by a framework and, and general rules and direction and hopefully a common purpose, uh, but at the same time, not necessarily having to be subservient or necessarily just relent to some direct higher power that's necessarily telling them what to do. Why is it important to explore these alternative methodologies? Personally, my personal path has led me to believe that honestly, self-management is more and more becoming the wave of the future, just with all the kind of trends going on in business and people definitely trying their hand, jumping across various companies, getting a feel for what they like, what they don't like. Obviously, with the way everything's going sort of virtual, it's kind of causing us to all change and rethink how we do business. So I just fortunately had the opportunity to to get lucky enough to get introduced to these self-management type systems in the last five to six years. And, and it just really struck a chord with me because I've come from being kind of a person who always yearned to not necessarily be managed or even micromanaged. And I had very hands-off managers in my past and that I really felt 
fit with both my personality and the way I like to work. So finding kind of self-management systems really allowed me to be my full self and be as productive as I possibly could. Um, is there something that precipitated um, the exploration into these other sort of methodologies and formats? Was there a, a frustration or a, a big, <laughs> ugly situation that made you say, hey, there's got to be a better way? I think anyone who can relate to coming from corporate America or just <laughs> big companies might be able to relate. But I mean, I, I, I don't want to necessarily paint too negative a picture or connotation to, to those types of companies. Those obviously have been very successful in their own right. But personally, I'd, uh, my career led me into kind of management, technology management, management of people of various different capacities. And, and I just started to educate myself a lot more just about people in general, frameworks, systems, because I'm very much a systems thinker. And the more I sort of started to realize the kind of common problems that seem to be so prevalent, especially in a corporate hierarchy. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a, a, a mentor and a couple of peers who very much shared a lot of the same philosophies as myself. And, and we just kind of kept talking and that led to reading more books that we all sort of started sharing things we'd come across. And uh, fortunately, one of those books I was able to read early in about 2015, I think it was, was about Holacracy, which was just a recommendation from a mentor of mine. And I had never heard about it before. And it was just one of those books that as soon as you picked it up and started turning the page, everything connected and everything just related to kind of a lot of my personal philosophies around people and frameworks and management styles. One thing led to another, and I was fortunate enough to, to start going on the pathway to trying to figure out how to actually implement that at the company I moved to. And there's several different sort of self-management systems or flat management structures. So holacracy, sociocracy are a couple to name, and then various custom self-management um, structures. So definitely several different places to go to for people that want to learn more about this. So tell me a little bit about the situation in the company where you ended up implementing this and, and what that process looked like. Uh, Absolutely. So yeah, it was in the kind of transition time that I had moved employers in 2016 and, and gone from at the time what was becoming a, a much larger sort of corporate entity where I was at the time down to a much smaller, about a 20 person startup uh, that was based in technology. And just coming in there, it was kind of a new opportunity to sort of start with a clean slate and really ask the question, is there a better way to do business than just what we have done in our past? Because it was very much in the formative stages of that business. And so that's where fortunately having read the book about holacracy and, and kind of dabbled and looked at other ocracies that were out there. Um, it really is just coming in with the challenge to ourselves to how could we maybe try to do business in just a different way, both for the sake of the people and just for the sake of productivity. Uh, because a lot of me and the peers I had come in with, where I just a little bit of sick and tired of just doing the same routine and didn't want to just bring that same routine to a different place and end up really in the same results, which to be honest, were at times demoralizing from where we had previously come. Mm -hmm. So um, with that opportunity, we were fortunately able to work with the leadership at that small startup to, to at least get um, an opportunity to delve a little deeper by going to some formal training and learning more not just what the system was, but how to actually implement the system. And that was where it was really eye-opening. And you just, as they say, you can kind of read about it. You can watch videos about it, but there's nothing quite like doing it. And fortunately, the training I went to gave the opportunity to really experience it firsthand and really practice it. And that's where things really started to connect. And then again, through fortunate support at the, the company I was at, they gave us the time and opportunity to really explore then and learn ourselves and, and build up the sort of muscles, if you will, to try to figure out how we could self-bootstrap and really bring that system to that company. It's fortunate in a lot of ways, but I would just say the impetus of it was just wanting to do business a different way. And fortunately, with the right support and the right time to, to make sure we studied up and, and practiced it, because practice makes perfect, right? It gave us the opportunity to launch it and give it a try. Was it challenging to get the sort of powers that be to buy in and, and allow you to <laughs> execute this experiment? You could say so. Um, it, it certainly <laughs> didn't come without its own negotiations and, and concessions of sorts. Because again, to be honest, I, I almost putting myself in, in their shoes can't say I wouldn't have made the exact same choice 
in order to, you know, let's maybe try this first before we sort of go whole hog in. So even though only we were at the time, we'd grown from about 20 to 40 people, we decided or, or sort of conceded that, how about we try this with about half the business and make sure that the framework is able to take hold and people are starting to understand the concepts behind it and really see and make sure that the company's, company isn't just going to become instantly unproductive. And so that's where we just kind of did a, a gentleman's handshake agreement to say, well, we're going to give this a real honest try, but let's at least protect at least part of the business. And at the time, it was really our revenue generating part of the business. Let's protect that little bit from this new stuff until we've really proved to ourselves it can work. But fortunately, with a lot of diligence and hard work, we within the span of about three months, uh, we had proved it from more concept to actually it was working. And so we are able to bring the whole company within about four months to doing it. So what does this look like? Um, I guess starting with, you know, what are some of the key principles and, um, and, and yeah, how do, how do you make that transition? Absolutely. Well, I mean, one of the things, uh, so as I talk about that, that I, I, so formally I got trained on holacracy and how to do holacracy. And so one of the things that I came to finally understand in, in that journey is uh, holacracy isn't necessarily equal to or synonym for self-management. It's more of considered a vehicle to get to self-management. And that really kind of was a head scratcher at times for me because it's like, well, how do you distinguish the two? But really, again, holacracy is just a framework. And there's while there are guidelines and, and certainly rules to some of it, it's really a, a way and a pathway for you to evolve and sort of gravitate to, you know, really put the the boundaries in place you need to become as self-managed as you want to become. And so one of the things me and, and the my peers at the time that we were kind of the ones bootstrapping the system, one of the things we decided to do is actually come up with self-management principles that really were nothing we got from any holacracy book or nothing in our holacracy training told us those principles. Um, so we were able to actually write down some definitions of things that we felt were self-management principles that really were kind of the guide of why we were trying to use a system to get us to that. Um, Yeah. And including things like just, you know, giving and receiving feedback and how important that was being a systems thinker um, just realizing that you're, you're part of a kind of collective whole and everyone has to really uh, not necessarily depend on everyone, but if there is no necessary thing above you telling you what you need to do all the time, it's really how you have to, put the right structures in place in order to work together to achieve a common purpose. One of the funny kind of real head scratcher phrases I heard at the time was like, in order to become less structured, you have to become more structured. And I was like, what the Mm -hmm. heck does that mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But what I, I finally realized it meant was because to become really a more flat organization where again, you're having to, to kind of figure out how to all work with each other. You really do need to, make sure you're much more articulate and much more explicit in sort of what are the accountabilities of everyone and the roles that they do um, and what are the general shared policies and guidelines that we all need to follow to make sure it doesn't basically devolve into utter chaos. Because we're talking about kind of a fundamental shift in power, right? Correct. And so there is no managers, um, no whatever, that whole structure is kind of gone. So what does that look like to have no sort of managers, no leaders, or everyone's a manager and a, and a leader. What, what does that look like? Yeah, no, that's where you bring up a lot of the, the good terms we like to talk about. Because in all honesty, I, I would always love to be part of an organization where we actually consider everyone leaders, where everyone's able to lead from their role. But yeah, while it did take away what I would call the formal title of a manager, the really interesting thing about a system like Holacracy, for instance, is it really is all about power structures and isolating where is the power or you know, where can you distribute the power throughout the organization. So in, in many ways, Holacracy is simply a framework that allows you to distribute power and authority across the system. Because really in a corporate hierarchy or any sort of hierarchy, the power always exists one rung up from where you are. And really at the end, you can argue at the very top holds all the power. So to be able to use a framework to distribute that authority throughout the system kind of changes the rules entirely. And that way it's not just delegating, it's truly 
empowering and giving power to roles far beneath you potentially and beneath only in the sense that even with holacracy, there's still effectively a hierarchy of just more circles and roles, but it lets you to really to truly distribute that power because in the end you have to have the authority in order to be held accountable. That's really to me, one of the, the phrases I've come to live by, please don't give me the accountability without the authority because otherwise that's like a prison. So how does how does this function? How does how does someone get the um, I don't know the, the the role assigned to them and the responsibility to execute something if there's sure. no you know fixed leaders? Yeah, well, and obviously I can I can speak to how it is in holacracy since that's what I practice. That um, most of the the process that occurs within holacracy for kind of distributing that power is is they have these things called circles, which really people equate to teams. And for each one of those circles or teams, you have effectively a lead of that circle. Um, and so each circle and each role within that circle has the ability to kind of get, be delegated um, certain ownership of what they call domains or, or property, which in many ways means you have the complete power and authority um, over those domains to make whatever decisions you need to make. So that could include anything from like a financial domain of like money and budget of the business um, to things as simple as like curriculum for a training class. Um, so again, it allows people through an explicit way of defining roles and accountabilities, domains, and, and all those types of things for everyone to have really a shared context, if you will. And we used a software um, uh to track kind of all of this information within Holacracy. So at any given point, every single member of the business could go back and, and always look at any given time as to who was in what role, what accountabilities they had of those roles and what power or authority they had. And you could even do assessments to figure out, did you have authority to do what you're wanting to do? So again, just a complete change in how honestly I'd ever learned into business or ever reacted at any other company I'd been. And again, I'm much of a, I, I'm a perpetual learner. I just love learning new things, but I also love to be challenged. So in many ways, this made me, me and others rethink how we just honestly did business and, and conducted our daily work. So um, how does this start? Are you you're looking for challenges, problems, things in the business that need attention? Like where, where's the, where's the process begin? Um, so yeah, certainly once, you know, you kind of, we had to bootstrap the system to get the initial set of roles and circles set up. Um, and really what one of the things or terminologies that they use is just like you brought up tensions. It's really just to acknowledge everyone in the system is a sensor. So as people work within the business and things come up, which pretty much happens every day, um, people begin to articulate like a tension of, well, I, I have a feeling that what I'm doing right now, there's a better way to do that, or there's a better way for our team to do that. And so by writing down those tensions and, and keeping track, and um, that's one of the things I've learned very well to do is write everything down as it's happening. Um, you can then bring those tensions to various types of meetings that are, are within the uh, framework that you can use. And some of those tensions might be more focused on how you're doing the work. So that's where you can talk with your peers and other team members about ways you could optimize that. And other times you realize you even have a gap in your framework or in your structure. And so you can go to certain meetings where you can either add new roles, new accountabilities, delegate certain authorities based on what's actually happening and not what you're theorizing might happen. Um, so that's again, a whole different way of having the business organically change while things are coming up or as things come up is such a new, honestly, agile way to work than to have to wait and do restructures every three or four years and have the entire business change and politics ensue and backstabbings occur. <laughs> um, it's just such a new, fresh, organic way. And the most impressive part about it is it gives everyone in the business a voice because really with the methodologies and the, and the meeting structures, everyone who plays a role in those circles has an opportunity to have their input heard and to offer their input as to how the changes should take place. But it's by no means a consensus building exercise. It very much has rules in place for 
who actually has the ability to um, make proposals and who has the ability to object to that. Do you have, I'm going to put you on the spot, but do you think of an example of a situation you had in any point in your business history in a traditional system and dysfunction and an example of a similar situation in the self-management structure you were implementing and how it went differently and better, I'm sure? Yeah, well, I I can think of one immediately because I think for... um, in a, certainly a hierarchy world and funny enough with my current role as COO, uh, I, I've been in previous companies where obviously when a C-level typically leaves, who again, typically held a, quite a bit of power and had influence over a lot of different teams, you know, that gap, if it's left unfilled, can cause pretty big problems or pretty big bottlenecks where the company could even be stifled for making progress, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the certainly not planned circumstances that occurred at the company I was at once we were practicing Holacracy is we actually did have uh, a C-level, a COO actually leave the company while we were practicing Holacracy. And to be honest, it was a, it was a bit of a head scratcher because that role, actually, there was a role within our system called COO that had a lot of that authority one would think, well, what are we going to do that has a lot of authority and what are we going to do with all that? But because of the framework and the way that Holacracy allows you to to back against distribute that authority, we were actually to make use of the framework and actually rather than reinstall a new person into that role, we in fact refactored refactored all of those authorities out to different roles. Mm -hmm. So rather than backfilling in a physical sense, that person and hiring a new person immediately to backfill that role, we actually took that role away, redistributed its authorities or its power to other roles in the system, and actually were able to act for about six months in the business without really losing a step. All the things that were happening with that COO there were still happening after the COO left. Um, And we were able to really kind of prove out the power of the system and the the dis- distribution of authority really does work um, for other reasons. Then after that, the, the company then decided to hire a new, a new COO. And funny enough, that was left <clears> with <throat> another head scratcher. Should we reignite that role and give it back all its responsibilities? And funny enough, they chose to not do that. They did create a new COO role, but with much different accountabilities at the time. So mm-hmm. I think that just shows a good kind of example between the two worlds of how I can't even begin to think of a way in which you would emulate that which happened in Holacracy within the corporate entity that I had always known in my past. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that, uh, that makes me think of is just that, you know, this is one of the major principles of permaculture is resilience, building resilience into a system. I'm having multiple, you know, elements in a system that can perform, you know, similar roles. So if you lose connection um, in one part of the system, another part of the system sort of fills in. So in this context, you had this person that had all of this, you know, very specific knowledge and responsibility. And I'm going to guess distributing it across multiple people, the job may have been (laughs) being done better, but also, you know, it's a lot more resilient because it's spread across more people. So things, other things change, then um, the system is able to absorb the um, you know, impact, if you will, much more, much more, uh, effectively. So I really like that that aspect of that. Yeah. Um, so, um, so talk about roles a little bit. Yeah. So, well, again, roles were, um, fairly new in terms of terminology that, you know, people typically think of their role at any given structure, um, as well, that's what I do. And it's really tied to a job description, which has its own set of responsibilities. So a role as defined within Holacracy is, is really fairly similar, but rather than a job description, it's more just a set of a definition around a role has a purpose. So it tells why that role exists it has a set of accountabilities that's that isolates what that role is expected to do on an ongoing basis. And a role then can also have things like domains tied to it. Um, But a really interesting fact or a factor that I learned within Holacracy or that Holacracy allows for is a multi-filled component to a role. So in any other given business, um, like David, you might be in a role of 
Um, and let's just even pick COO since we've been on the topic. And in any given structure, only one person can fill the ro- role of COO because that's just how it works. That's how the system works of hierarchy. But you could have a COO role in Holacracy, for example, but actually fill it with two people or four people or however many people you want, which that's a complete flip on its head, if you will, of how you could do business. So you can have people temporarily um, in a role for just a short period of time, or you could have people there for a long period of time. You can have a single person a role. Um, so it's just all sorts of ways to now really change and dynamically allocate resources as necessary. And again, a role in and of itself is really just a, it's a kind of structure, if you will, that you can kind of float people in and out of. You can create new roles, you can destroy roles, you can change roles. So it's very fluid. And it's so really just, it's, it's just, if you will, sort of the cells, if there's an analogy of cells and organs and how they all come together to make a whole system or body, you can think of it very organically like that. Um, mm. But the role isn't defined necessarily by the person. And that's the, <clears throat> the other part that I really actually came to enjoy once I finally understood what it meant, that a role isn't defined by a person because, again, multiple people could fill a role or nobody could fill a role. But a role in and of itself is really just a structure for those components that I identified. So let's use the COO position that was um, the roles were divided up. Um, can you break that down? What was that person doing and then how many roles was it broken into and what were they? Um, sure. Well, I, if I remember correctly on just some of the accountabilities and even the domains, I remember one of the biggest domains was actually the kind of fiscal control domain or the budget, if you will. So that role had pretty much huge amount of oversight on how the company could spend money and what it could spend money on and things like that. It also at the time had a lot of localized knowledge and, and kind of strategic knowledge of a lot of sort of various partnerships the company had at the time and, and some of the, just the domain knowledge. So therefore a lot of the kind of the big decisions that could be made in, cur- in terms of, can we create a new partnership with external parties? It had that ability to influence those decisions and then it even had, I think, sort of some people-related kind of functionalities in terms of making decisions around what our office hours were and what our policies were from a kind of people standpoint for various things. And so, again, as I mentioned in the, kind of in the story in the past, was that person left that role. Well, the role was still there. And funny enough, all that power was still relegated to the role. But rather than refilling that role with like three different people or even a person, what happened was each of those domains I mentioned were basically reallocated. And at the time it was decided to reallocate to three different roles. So the fiscal control domain was actually given over to a more kind of financial, if you will, like a sort of more like a CFO at the time or a financial director, but there was a role that was much more about sort of the accounting of things. But because that person in that role had a lot of knowledge around our fiscal policies and fiscal things, it was decided, well, it make a lot of sense for that person to be, you know, who's close to the money to have a little bit more oversight on how we're spending the money, which didn't mean that they, you know, they still could have conversations with everyone, but it just meant that person would now be more in the loop or how, how people wanted to try to spend the company's money. So that actually added a lot of value because it caused more communication with the person who was very close to actually accounting for the money. Um, the domain knowledge then moved over to a different role that was closer to the operational segment of the business. Um, and that was able to give sort of the person who was in a, a leadership role on that side, a little bit more authority than they'd had before. And then I myself at the time was in a leadership position for sort of the more people side of the business. So I actually got delegated most of the things around like office hours, attendance policies, and a lot of the sort of people uh, related domains, if you will. And so I was able to help sort of evolve more of those things in a faster way because I now had more authority to have a voice around that. So we're talking about roles. You mentioned domains. So do you want to define that a little bit in this context? Yeah, I think a domain is probably easiest to be defined more with an analogy. So if you think of a domain like a property, like let's say your house, you have the ability once you have a domain delegated to you to really treat it as your property. So much like I could give you a key, David, and say, David, I delegate the authority for you to 
be able to come into my house whenever you want. That's like me passing you the key to my house and saying, basically treat my property as your property. But since I ha- it's my house, I have that authority over that property to say who can enter, who has to ask me to enter, and even restrict people who can't enter. So it's very much analogous to that sort of that premise in that it's really treated as a property. And so then therefore it gives very clear indication to everyone else in the system. If you want to touch this property and it is owned by a very specific either role or even a circle, which can contain many roles, you have to at least in order to use that property, go talk to or have some conversation with the owner of that domain so that the system can work. That goes back again to having more of a shared context and everyone being able to work together. You have to at least have communication then and have some sort of order through which to communicate. Can you give me an example? Well, kind of back to the, the reusing ones I've, I've talked about, that fiscal control at the time, uh, the st- being a startup, we wanted to be very sort of budget conscious of what the money we were spending, uh, where it was going. So that fiscal control budget or fiscal control was really the domain, that the way it was articulated. But basically what it meant was if you wanted to purchase something, any role wanted to purchase anything in the whole business, even at the time, the CEO role, they actually had to go to the financial role to basically ask for permission. And you can probably, everyone listening to this wonder, well, how long does that last? <laughs> if I have to like go buy a pencil, you mean I have to go get approval? And so very quickly, that's what's cool about the system. Until you are able to put sort of policies in place to maybe give a little more guidance for what the rules are. Again, you can treat it like your property. So very quickly, they didn't have clarity as to, well, what do I need to ask for? What limits are there? What thresholds need to be crossed before I have to ask for permission? Well, if nothing's defined, you're going to have to ask every single time you want to spend anything. So that led to a lot of tensions very quickly in the business. But what was very nice is that, again, through the system and through the framework, the person with that domain had the ability to set policies in place to say, listen, I'm not here to control every dollar and cent that we spend. So for any purchase under like $100 or $500, and that could be manipulated at any time by that, that owner, they were able to set policies in place that allowed people to have more guidance onto when was an appropriate time to ask based on how much they were trying to spend and otherwise what they were pretty much approved already to spend. And you have to remember, it wasn't like everyone in the business was trying to abuse the finances and just spend money to spend money. But what it really was able to do is help the business now more throttle and organically grow. What are its thresholds and why are the thresholds the way they are? But by putting the people closest to the work and the people closest at the time to the finances, you would think the person who's then watching our books and understanding where our money is can now even do their job better as they understand how people are spending and even give them better ability to forecast or understand where maybe we need to consider allocating more money in the future for future budgets because they now have more proximity to how money is being spent. Can you talk about the the governance process? So, what does this look like? You know, you found that you find attention. Maybe you sort of define roles and, and separate those accountabilities out. What does that whole process look like? How often do you you know connect as a group, etc.? Sure. Well, so being a framework again, holacracy is actually very flexible and doesn't even tell you exactly how often or when you need to do things. So, you very much can make your own cadence model up of how often do you do governance meetings. In our practice, what we realized is when we first started the system, it made sense to have governance meetings much more frequently because there tended to be a, a lot of, let's say, entropy in the system that you needed to work through until you could find an equilibrium. Um, and then we kind of changed to more maybe once a month or once every couple weeks meetings. But what the system really looks like is, again, there's actually a pretty well-defined process in holacracy for how governance meetings are structured. Uh, In a very basic sense, people bring to that meeting their tensions. And effectively, a governance meeting means your tension has led you to believe you have a new proposal for a change to the structure of the system. Really, governance is mostly a structure or it's a synonym for structure within holacracy. And so it means you're basically wanting to either change or adapt some existing role or possibly create a role, 
change in accountability on a role, but it has everything to do with manipulating the basic components of, of roles and, and their subcomponents, which, you know, again, that could change entirely the basis of the function of the role or even eliminate a role. So there needs to be really some structure, if you will, to that process and make sure that the people have a voice that can object if it's going to cause harm to the business. And there's actually even a sort of test, if you will, of questions that are asked during that process to basically just have stop guards in place to make sure people aren't just whimsically wiping roles off of the structure, out of the structure and causing undue harm, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, again, I don't want to say very democratic because it doesn't just, you actually have to have the ability to prove how you have Um, you can show how it would cause harm to the system in order for your objection um, really to work. It sounds complicated. It definitely takes a little bit of training. It takes, I think, seeing it in action for it to make sense. But again, fortunately, by doing this and working through just meeting after meeting and training people and coaching people, we had people who honestly, I would say, would ever be afraid to speak and ever even propose a change to be able to come to a meeting with an actual attention make a proposal and get that passed within the span of minutes. And you can honestly see the relief in both their eyes and just their shoulders. You know, they would really, their whole body would just go from a tense situation to a, I feel relieved. And I now feel I got my tension resolved. Um, And that was just an awesome feeling to be able to see anybody in the business have that opportunity. Well, and what's interesting about that is people. So it's one thing to, find a problem and complain about it, right? But in this context, you actually have the power to bring it to the forefront and and have something actually change in the company, whereas sometimes in the traditional model, that really doesn't happen. So you have to be able to articulate the problem and propose solutions, which I would imagine in some cases really uh, fostered some relatively intense personal development to be able to articulate things right that way, right? Absolutely. And that has actually become one of my favorite things and probably one of my best skills I grew out of doing Holacracy through a lot of coaching because being a little bit more trained in the system, I, was, I had the opportunity to coach a lot of people and a lot of people would bring their tensions to me for just some guidance on how they could work within the system to solve them. And I began to realize very quickly, fundamentally, most people, and I would say even outside of Holacracy, because I'm still dealing with it, Uh, not doing holacracy anymore, people fundamentally have a hard time actually articulating their problems or Mm -hmm. their tensions. And it actually does take some, I would say, um, methods to really extract the fundamental, what is the problem and be able to clearly articulate that, um, that that's, that's as much of a learned skill and that takes practice. It's not necessarily obvious. Funny enough, it's very easy for most people to throw solutions at stuff very quickly. (laughs) So I found (laughs) people very much easily could come up with proposals very quickly, but when asked why they were wanting to propose that or what the problem that led to that was, it got, became a little trickier. And in fact, most of the coaching I spent with people was actually having, helping them untangle what really Sometimes there's multiple problems, that, but they were balling them up into a single tension. But in reality, they had multiple tensions all kind of combined together. And by simplifying that and really outlining what the problems all were, it became much easier to tackle one by one and see the dependencies if there were any. Brilliant, right? That's a great. I mean, you can think about situations in your personal life where you're balling up several different emotional reactions and past experiences and stuff into something that doesn't necessarily warrant all that baggage. But if you're not aware of aware that that baggage is there, then it's not necessarily all related. Then your life is uh, a lot more difficult, right? So just getting clarity on what is the problem and what is actually affecting and what's not so that we can look at a solution, right? Because if you don't know what it is even, then you're really stuck. So that sounds like really essential life skills. So not only are you doing something to help develop this company, but each of these employees are developing their skills that are going to serve them wherever they go in the future. Right. So you're building you're building resilience in the company, but you're also building resilience in all of the employees. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that that has been validated multiple times over. I mean, I myself have already moved on from that company since 
and taken really all the skills I built up there and many others did as well. So that's where I feel lucky enough that as much as holacracy has its own sort of rules in place and and systems in place, it really does require you more more on the self-management front to understand how to work, you know, with the power and authority that you do and build up these sort of systems of organization and how to explicitly, how to articulate things explicitly, how to be more clear, how to ask for help, how to give feedback. I mean, these are all skills that over time, the more you become um, aware of how important they are, the more, and the more it really helps facilitate you to do that because the more you do it, the more successful you can be in your roles. That, those are skills that carry with you into any structure or any framework, not just telocracy. So mm-hmm. that's what I feel so blessed to have gotten is really it was a gift um, that, uh, that helped me grow in many ways. And I'm still using things to this day that I learned from doing that. Um, could you give an example or two of, of people who really kind of started at ground zero and came a long way with these communication skills? I think one thing in particular I, I remember or that stands out is at the, at the company I was at, there was, there was a call center component to the company mm-hmm. and a, a lot of them obviously were working day in and out doing their job and, and talking to customers and doing what they needed to do. But I think had been used to a world in previous lives and even early in their, in their life at the company before we'd moved to holacracy where they very much were told and, and understood to follow processes and follow quarter, sort of prescripted ways in which to do their jobs, even though they didn't necessarily always agree with those ways, um, because that's just what they were told to do and how they operated. And I can very distinctly remember facilitating some of their early meetings when they were brought into the holacracy system and just out of the gate, watching people that I myself had interviewed most of the people in the company to bring them on because I was as part of the recruiting team. And, you know, I'd watch them from really being on the floor and, and really only talking to customers when they had to, but not having much of a voice for how to change the system to you just give them the opportunity and open the floor up for them to share their their feedback. And all it took was really one to break the ice. And I distinctly remember being in a meeting where one tension led to more tensions, led to everyone really lighting the place up in a good way, because you were finally starting to hear from the people who were actually closest to doing the work, really give ideas and put forth ideas that they had always had in their head. They just didn't have the outlet or didn't have the pathway to express it. And finally, through realizing the opportunities they had by making proposals and having the ability to change their own roles or even update other people's roles, it really just kind of not just gave them new enthusiasm for sort of how the system worked, but it really made them feel they honestly had a voice in the business. And that was also validated because one of the things my team did after we implemented it is about three to six months after implementing it, we went back through the whole organization and surveyed everyone in the organization at the time and asked them, like, what sort of things um, do you feel like this is this has led to? Like, wh- wh- how would you describe uh, your happiness and, and, and what, how would you describe your work? And overwhelmingly, Uh, one of the responses we got back is people kept saying they felt like they had a voice in the company. And Mm. that was huge to us because that was not prevalent prior to doing Holacracy. So I don't want to claim Holacracy caused that, but I just simply think the pathways that a system like Holacracy allowed for manifested into people then feeling that way. So that was actually a change in even the culture. Uh, Mm. And that's just to me how powerful systems like this can be. Right. You know, one of the things that I think about as you're talking about that is sort of the, the um, loosening up or the, the moving of energy. So a good example would be um, local currencies. So part of the idea behind a local currency, like Ithaca, their own coin, is that um, you're spending money in this town and the money, ideally if the money stays within the town and circulates through the town, it's circulating energy through and bringing prosperity to everyone. Whereas when you have a town with, you know, huge big box stores and they make money and the, the money leaves the town and goes to some corporate headquarters, then you're not 
uh, you're removing that energy flow from that town. And so, and that's part of the problem with like, you know, massive wealth as well, right? Billions of people with billions of dollars all stockpiled, that's not moving. So the, the flowing of energy in the context of money is the, the sort of analogy I have for this, because you have all these people with all of this pent up sort of knowledge and experience that they're not talking about. So you're never finding out about it in, in a traditional corporate structure. But in this context, they all started talking, they're sharing their ideas, their experiences, and you have this energy flowing in a way that it wasn't before. So that's a that's a huge piece, not only for the effectiveness of the business, but obviously the empowerment of the employees and then, like you say, feeling like they have a voice, maybe for the first time in their careers, right? Because it's not that often at that level of a role, especially in a call center, that you feel like you you have a say in anything going on in that company. So, Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, so talk about some of the uh, the more challenging aspects of, of this experience. <laughs> well, it's, you knew uh, I was going to go there. <laughs> I did, and I mean, again, I funny enough, I I I, I look at challenges though as I gravitate to challenge. I like the hard things. So while I can't think of certainly challenging things, I I also wouldn't have changed how going through those challenges because that's really what helped me learn as well and, and overcoming them as much as we could uh, again grew me and others in very various ways but i mean certainly one challenge is just the simple change curve of changing the entire way you're doing business was a challenge right this is new to not just me and others but a lot of people so it, it came with a lot of persistence around the diligence of studying and practicing and trying things and understanding we weren't doing it necessarily perfectly, uh, reaching out for help when we could, just constantly trying to do our best to, to be as good as we could at it. I realized a lot that, you know, it, it's a very personally impacted thing too, that, you know, when people, not everyone has the same, as they say, change curves or uh, ability to change at the same rate, if you will. I consider myself very adaptive. And I, I, I think I accept change rather well, very quickly. So I'm always kind of looking for new things and new opportunities, new ways to do new things, but that's not everyone's rate of speed. And that doesn't, that's not a right or wrong thing, but I think that's one of the certainly uh, headwinds we encountered very quickly is we had to start to understand, you know, what were the resistance that might people weren't totally bought into the system? We really had to start understanding how to articulate why we were moving to this system because we realized without the under, the foundational understanding of why the system matters to us to use as a company, then how could we expect people to be bought in? So we learned some of that the hard way by sort of trying to move fast because it was new and fresh and exciting. But um, in some ways, I'm kind of glad it didn't just get immediate buy-in by everybody. We had to have some people who are a bit more resistant, but in some ways that helped us grow because we made us more articulate. It made us better have a better understanding for what were the things they didn't buy into. And then it just allows us to, to really then start to overcome those and really grow together. But yeah, I mean, just certainly the learning curve was pretty tough at the beginning, but fortunately we were diligent in that respect. Um, but it's just kind of overlooking the whole, I was doing it for about three and a half years at that company. Over time, the challenges to me just seem to get smaller and smaller in terms of size I, I just think you you just started to build up sort of more of a a mentality, if you will, that these challenges are overcomable. It's just let's get it out in front of us, let's share our tensions, let's talk about them, and let's tackle them. So that's why, yeah, I don't want to make believe it was easy in any regard, but I do think it also uh, it started to establish a more shared context across the company that we just begin to realize change is a constant, change is always going to happen. So we're going to need to learn how to embrace it. And fortunately, using a system like this, we could embrace it and move very quickly and change a lot. And we did both using Holacracy and, and the things we did within Holacracy and then just as a company in general and, and have, helping the company grow. What are some of the most dynamic things that happened in, in, in the context of implementing this in the company? What were the biggest, the biggest benefits? One selfish thing I'll, I'll take away from it is the uh, the meeting structures it brought to light. I'm 
to this day stealing from those and reusing those outside of holacracy. Um, mm-hmm. So I consider that a huge benefit. It, it's maybe a little hard to articulate and truly understand the benefits until you experience it. But I would just say it brought a structure about to its meeting to the meeting formats that it, where again, it promotes the ability for everyone to have a voice. Um, it, it introduced the concept of having a facilitator role within the meetings that really is a guardian of the process and it helps protect people's spaces to talk, um, mm-hmm. which really was a foundational kind of new thing for media experience. I mean, I've been around facilitated events, but this just does it in a way where again, it gives everyone the opportunity to have a voice but it also at the same time doesn't mandate that they must speak. So I just found the, the structured format of the meetings to be a huge benefit. And honestly, as we had learned in our training, we were told that's probably one of the most immediate things you'll see whenever you start this system is everyone's going to react to the meetings because it's very in your face and very upfront. But I would say after we started doing that and easily within the first couple months, we practically didn't hear a sing, single negative review about the meetings. They, everyone fell in love with them and really felt like, how come we're not doing all of our meetings this way? Uh, because they're simply so productive and they allow you to end the meeting as soon as you need to. There's no necessarily formality around how long it has to go. It ends as soon as you're out of agenda topics. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's something I'm always going to take away. Um, and honestly, it, it's almost hard to articulate, but just working in a system like this and again, gravitating to a more self-managed world, it honestly just changes the way you think. I know that sounds very profound, <laughs> but <laughs> it's just where I begin to understand personally about myself, the way I now think about how I factor work, I'm able to almost literally carve up in my head, well, do I care about that in the role that I'm in? Do I have the right authority that I need to perform the actions I want to do. I mean, those are not questions I asked myself back when I was working in a corporate hierarchy. I mean, that was just foreign to me. That's not, that's not how I processed work or processed things to do. But now that became more of a, just how I think. And, and because I had the context and frame of reference around things like roles and accountabilities, it really gave me new opportunity and new vocabulary to even talk and ask myself questions that I hadn't done before. So that's stuff that, again, sticks with you and really has changed the way I do think. And I've also become much better at organizing and documenting sort of things, getting it out of my head as soon as possible and documenting that. That's another kind of uh, behavior that I learned very well by doing Holacracy. Uh, that was tied, more tied to like uh, getting things done system, which is closely affiliated with Holacracy. So I've taken a lot of those personal skills as well and and continue to use that throughout the rest of my career. Now, as far as the sort of key metrics that companies normally look at, revenue, profitability, et cetera, how did this affect that? Honestly, I wouldn't say it affected it much, but it get, did give the promotion of really having an established place to discuss metrics. So again, back to those meeting structures I was talking about, um, there are areas in the meeting, literally agenda of the meeting that you explicitly talk about metrics, but there's absolutely no definition within Holacracy around what metrics you need to have, how they're formatted, how many you can have. It's, it's a framework. So you can really have as many or as few as you want. And so I think that, again, leaves it up to the business to decide what's right for it and what makes sense. Um, you can have those at both a team level, at a role level. Um, you can really establish them however you want. But again, I, I begin to understand, and now I still make use to this day of how does it make sense to formulate metrics at both an individual and team level? And how do you expose those in a way that can help motivate and inspire both individuals and the team to move mm-hmm. towards a common purpose. So I think that's, again, when you're looking at it in a structural sense, when you're able to tie purposes and goals and, and those things together, it's not just about measuring something. It's about measuring to in order to achieve a purpose. That's, that's helped give, again, a, a, a nice model or, or framework in which to understand you know, why we're even measuring something. So if you're a leader of a company or I'm a leader of a company, what would you say to me as to why I would want to take up a self-management structure? It's time to get with the times. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, 
I think again, it, I don't want to give really the impression that it's something you have to do or you need to do. I honestly think it is a very personal decision for a leader of a company. I think that leader of the company needs to really understand what they are trying to accomplish both as a company and certainly what they're trying to form within the people of the company. You know, again, this this will have a side effect where it very much will impact the culture of the company and what you're looking to do. And and I think in this sense, I was lucky enough to work uh, with a leadership team that very much believed in the empowerment of people and wanted to people to have a voice and to, and to be heard and to have an impact on how the operation of the business was, was going and help it grow. So I think it, it was a natural sort of combination of the, the needs and wants of, of how the leadership was thinking and the ability for us to use a framework that sort of promoted that. So I'm not trying to imply or, or paint a negative sense that you know, if you don't use a system like that, that you think the complete opposite from there. But I just think it's, it's again, it's not something that you want to necessarily say, well, you're, you're a leader of a company, so why the heck aren't you doing self-management? Um, I will say it's, again, it's a learning curve too. And, you know, at various times and being in a startup, another startup now myself, you know, it takes time to learn and, and practice this stuff and get it right. And most startups that I know of don't have the luxury of time. <laughs> There's a lot they need to figure out just to keep the lights on, especially mm-hmm. these days. So I yeah. also just, I, I do want to impress upon everyone the luxury that I was given and with some others to really take the time to learn and get this right the first time was truly a luxury. And I'm very gracious for the people that let us do that. But at the same time, I I do think it's a very personal decision, but I would also encourage leaders to at least keep their minds open to at least possibly talking with others about it who have, who've done it or, or just at least try to understand what the pros and cons could be. Because I just think keeping your mind open and, and being open to learning is, is just a good way to go through life. So obviously huge cultural benefits, um, empowerment of the employees, them feeling like they have a voice, them learning how to articulate themselves and what the problems are and, and the solutions. So those are all huge pieces. And you can see sort of the ramifications of those throughout a company, especially over time. One of the things I think is noteworthy with Holacracy and several of these other methodologies is while they're sort of... Uh, alternative, if you will. These are ideas that someone thought of, maybe wrote a book or whatever, and then have been implemented over time across multiple industries. So while this is new and sort of cutting edge or bleeding edge, if you will, these are proven ideas that are being implemented in the real world. So I just want to add that encouragement in this situation as well, because it may be a brand new idea to you as a listener, but it is not sort of a some kind of a fringe, you know, pipe dream. These are real things being implemented in the real world. So where would you point someone if they wanted to learn more about these type of um, business structures? Um, well, obviously, I, I've probably plugged Holacracy enough to, for everyone to go look that up. And Holacracy.org is a great uh, resource for anyone who wants to learn about Holacracy. But honestly, I feel like, you know, even just uh, pursuing through your own favorite search engine, just self-management type topics. I've started to become more aware over time of some of this organizational design networks. And, and occasionally you'll kind of find a good eclectic mix of people who've come from various backgrounds and those sorts of domains. I can't remember the name of the website, but there was even a website uh, I found actually, I think over in Europe that was actually doing sort of a tracing of all different types of companies and sort of what different types of frameworks they were using. Um, I remember that only because I was able to get my former company on that list as one of the companies doing Holacracy. So I think it's just, again, becoming more familiar with some of the the different frameworks out there. And, and they're just kind of using your the tools at your disposal to just sort of do research around those. But I would say when you go looking, there's a lot more resources than I ever thought there were. Um, and certainly nowadays, I mean, I'm talking about, I did this back in like really 2016, 2017. So now about four to five years later, there's far more resources than I even had at my disposal at the time. So, and at the same time, I, I very much encourage listeners here. I, I would love to talk to anyone who's interested and, and point them. I've very many times sent people links to YouTube videos, Ted talks, books that I've just uh, gravitated to over time 
Um, and I always love learning from people as well, other resources that have helped them. And, and so we'll put some of those links in the show notes. Uh, I'll get some of those from you afterwards, you know, YouTube sure. videos, maybe other books, whatever. Because uh, one of the things I've learned as I got interested in these ideas was kind of your point earlier. You, can, you can't just read a book and understand it. You have to actually practice it. And so it's that tacit knowledge. And so when I discovered, as I discovered you, because you worked with somebody who I'd worked at, with at a previous company, and I was excited that it was being implemented where I lived, right? So bridging that gap of getting enough of an idea of what something is without having the opportunity to practice it, I guess, is one of the challenges of these new structures. So is there any kind of a paradigm shift that you went through in this process that maybe someone, if they had if they address that paradigm shift first, it would ease the rest of the of the process. And if you don't have an idea, I have an, I have some thoughts on that. <laughs> so I'm giving you a question you don't have to answer. It's a pretty deep question. No, yeah, maybe if you want to throw me some ideas, it might. Well, some. so you know, frameworks of reality, I guess, worldviews are part of what helps people to see and hear or not. I'll give you my personal example. In 2011, I, someone showed me a YouTube video of uh, Jeff Lawton, who's a permaculture guy, and the whole idea of whole systems, sort of agricultural design just like blew my mind. And I immediately started thinking about how do these regenerative sort of resilient ideas apply to business and governance and that kind of thing. So that's kind of the direction I've ended up going more with it. But before that, I, I had a very... Uh, compartmentalized perspective on things. And once I saw how you can build these systems with all these interrelated components, and in fact, it creates a lot more dynamic and productive system than, I mean, it changed the way I think about politics, religion. I mean, over over the next several years, it changed the way I thought in, in all these different categories. And sure. I guess the analogy there would be um, for permaculture is you've got like a monocrop of corn that takes a lot of inputs of fertilizers and pesticides and, and everything. And if you lose connection in that system, 10, 20%, it's basically gone. Mm-hmm. With permaculture, you've got the idea of a food forest. You've got like a seven layer food forest with you know, nut trees, fruit trees, berry bushes, herbaceous layer, all of these components are working together. You don't need herbicides and pesticides because there's predatory insects and animals that are keeping the system in balance. It's creating its own soil and creating higher quality, more nutrient dense food so all of those things are coming together. When you see that and how much more dynamic that is, I mean, that's what just kind of blew my mind and opened me up to all of this. So it's it's that idea of how do you come about changing the way you see the world that opens you to, you know, maybe being willing to experiment with these kind of ideas. Oh, sure. Well, and I, I think for each person, again, my personal journey led me to just sort of get in many ways fed up with. Uh, again, being a person who likes to challenge things and challenge new ideas and, and try new things, I just got to a point where I'm like, I just don't want to keep repeating the same cyclical nature and having the same end result of things are hard when you're small and then you grow and they seem to be great and it seems to be growing and everything's great. And then you grow so big and then it's back to things are hard and things uh, then suddenly start going downhill because you just hit these cyclical nature of things. And again, that's my own personal journey that I just, I realize after I keep doing cycle after cycle of the same thing, I question, why don't I do something different? And, and that's where, again, with the opportunity to try something like holacracy, that led me to try something different. And now that I moved on to another company, now I'm trying another something different. So it's just, I think it's again, somewhat of a mentality, but for people like myself that have more of maybe a challenger type personality, I just think it's always about learning and, and staying open to trying new things. And again, that doesn't, holacracy doesn't dictate the speed at which the change has to occur. Um, and so that's where I think going back to some of the previous conversation, it's, it's just about, you know, the, the philosophy maybe of, you know, those that which choose to not change typically end up in the same spot. <laughs> There's plenty mm-hmm. of cliches and adages around that. So, but there is absolutely no mandates or it's not all roads lead to one path, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's not for me or anyone, I think, to say you must go down the route of self-management. It's the only way. It's simply not. Everyone, I think, should have the right to choose the path that works for them. 
and and vice versa. One of the things I remember talking to my colleagues about is I very much do hope more companies kind of at least look into pursuing this path, if for nothing else, to create more diversity in the market. Because I just choose to believe that I can't be, I think, of a very small minority subset who there's only a few of us out there who like to work this way. But to be honest, when you're looking in the landscape of businesses and all of them work fairly typically the same way, you know, you're pretty much relegated to only going to really one type of structure. So I was always hoping and wishing, and that's why I like to talk to people about this stuff, because if I can inspire it, just anyone and other businesses to give this a try, at least, it really is giving the future generations just more opportunity or more diversity for a choice of where they want to work. And to me, back to helping your local communities and everything, I'd rather people keep people in a local community and helping it thrive than having to go search elsewhere and go to places where maybe pockets of this stuff gets popular because that's how they choose to work. Well, and, and also on, on the sort of background piece of this, so holacracy is one methodology that is sort of spun out of integral theory, which was uh, is Ken Wilber's sort of framework. And I, I can, I'll put a link in the show notes. He's written a lot of books, but there's one particular one that's short and relatively articulate to get the basic ideas of it. So that's covering sort of a, a theory of everything kind of a way of looking at the world based on work from a lot of different psychologists and different people throughout the, the last several hundred years. Um, and basically the, the gist of it is we're at this point in history where um, we can see all of the different countries and governmental systems and business structures and religions. And we can all see all of those things at one point from one place, because historically you lived in your little village in one place, one part of the world and outside of 50 miles from there, you didn't have that much of an idea of what was going on. Now we can see all of it. And so that gives perspective that we didn't have before. So that's kind of a, a really quick uh, blip for learning more about integral theory because it will lead to affecting all kinds of different aspects of how you how you see the world and then ultimately how you act in the world. So, well, thanks, Mark. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this. This has been fun. Any uh, final thoughts that you want to leave with us? Thank you, David. I really appreciate the opportunity and I hope this has been both enlightening and, and entertaining to your listeners. And uh, no, I just, I, I would, encourage just everyone to, if nothing else, expose yourself to new things, give things, new things to try, whether that's holacracy or any of the ocracies or just again, if nothing else, uh, open your mind to, to new ideas and explore and see what works best for you and your business. But I just wish everyone the best of luck and happy and healthiest of times right now and, and onward and upward. And that was David Bilbrey and Mark Simpson. Mark doesn't have his own website, but if you'd like to get in touch with him, send me an email and I can connect you. If you'd like to find out more about Holacracy and self-management, I've included a number of resources in the show notes to explore this further. After listening to this conversation, because of the political theory I've been steeped in over the years, Holacracy reminds me of the work of communalists and mutualists and people like Murray Bookchin to flatten hierarchies and create collaborative environments to foster change. That we can come together around a problem and create dynamic structures with guiding rules and principles that get us from an idea to a goal. But that's just my initial read on this. Have you worked with holacracy or self-management in your business or personal practices? Do you have some specific resources that you would recommend? Let me know. Email show at thepermaculturepodcast.com, call 717-827-6266, or write Scott Mann, 210 East Fairfax Street, number 300, Falls Church, Virginia, 22046. Until the next time, spend each day taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.